So this morning, we're going to start in Genesis chapter 3, and, and really, I guess the best way to put it is we're going, we're going way back, okay? We're going way back so that we can better understand who we are. And I say who we are is who we are in, in mankind, right? Who we are in this flesh. And I think it's important for us to reacquaint ourselves with that. Not only in, from, a, from a biblical standpoint of mankind, but also even in our own lives, right? So what I mean by that is, is that, you know, as, as we progress through life, you know, you make more money, you, you get the car that you've always wanted, right? Or you, you, do the ma- you make all the progressions that, that you've been striving for. And constantly we reset the bar in our life, don't we? Which I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. That's just a reality, right? So in other words, if you wanted to have three kids, you had three kids, right? And then you wanted to be in a position to where you get them in the right schools. And then so you get them in the right schools and you do those things. And then some of us come to the point where you raise your kids and they're, they're good, upstanding adults. They serve God, so on and so forth. And so you, you do all these different things and you reach these milestones, you reach these bars, and you constantly reset them. Or we should be constantly resetting them. Life changes, and sometimes what happens is, is we have a tendency to forget where we came from. You understand? We get so accustomed to some of the delicacies and some of the nice things in life, we forget where we came from. And, and, and in my life, you know, I was born and raised in Lower East Bakersfield, okay? I have a tendency to, I always remember back still, I still remember very fondly the house that I grew up on, Lake Street. You know, it was, it's not far from here. It's 2530 Lake Street. I can still tell you my phone number, 323-4473, right? Although none of that stuff is relevant to anybody, any of you kids nowadays, you know what I mean? It, it, you know, they used to drill it into you when you were a kid. I knew my grandma's number, my aunt's number, my, my telephone number, and there were no such thing as cell phones, obviously. And so, uh, anyways... To this day, in my mind's eye, I, I think back to uh, that neighborhood. Had a lot of kids on the neighborhood. Uh, we, you know, I grew up there. That's when I learned about the purple-eyed monkey. Compliments of my mother that I've shared with you guys. That's another story for another day. It's not scriptural and it's not biblical. But it will draw you closer to Jesus. But uh, <laughs> It's an aid and a tool in that. <laughs> so <laughs> not sure if my mom thought about it that when she did it but you know anyways and so my point is is that now you drive through that neighborhood nowadays you fast forward 30 something years right and it's been a long time you realize that the house was built in the 30s um, it was it was a very old house and the fondness I want to I wouldn't mind going back and buying that house again right in my mind's eye and then you drive through and you're like "Ooh, I'm not gonna buy that house that was a time in my life. I'm okay that that's no longer there, but I have very fond memories. And so I always try and stay connected. I'm not always the best at it. I always try to stay connected from where I came from because there's, there's, there's sometimes it happens to all of us is that, that man, we, you know, we, we lose concept of, of where we came from. We lose, lose the, the approach of that, hey, you know, when we're coming up and we're coming up through the struggle of life, 
we appreciate so many things because we know how hard it was to achieve those things, right? But then you start achieving some of those things and then we begin to take those things for granted. The things that we struggled for, the things that we wanted so bad become everyday and commonplace. The things that, that you can look at, I mean, you take a look at electronics, you know, you can look at the iPhones and all the, the progressions through all these different things. And so you can see all these kids and, you know, nowadays they want the 12, I think is it 12 plus, I think is, is that the fancy one? The 12 plus, right? You know, well, the reality of it is, and you know, a year from the time that you get it, uh, there's going to be two other models that have come out. People spend $1,200 to get those items. Now, I'm not knocking anybody that has money and wants to do that. That's, that's your, own, your own business. But the point is, is that we can struggle so hard to get it. Next thing you know, it sits in a, it sits in a drawer in your kitchen. You know, I, I'm looking at some of the phones and some of the things that, you know, my kids have at the house. They use them strictly on Wi-Fi as, you know, so they can play games on it. But man, we spent so much money to get those things, and they were so important to us at one point. You know, you look at it and go, it's not that valuable anymore. It's lost its lure, its luster, and everything else that goes along with that. But sometimes it does us some good to pause and look at those things and go, oh, man, but I had to have that. You know, you can imagine the car that you had to have or the truck that you had to have. In Bakersfield, most of the time, it's a truck. Right, that truck that you had to have if you're male, anyways. You had to have that truck, or you had to live on that side of town, or you had to have that car. Hey, don't you go shaking head. There's certain cars you got to have. Okay, we all got them, right? There's certain things that we got to have, right? And then you get it, and you're like, hmm, it's not good enough anymore. I think I want to put a new paint job on it. <laughs> I'm not so sure I like that color anymore. Or, you know what I mean? We all do those kind of things, and there's different different things for all of us out there. And so what happens is we become complacent, right? We 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 treat the things that are once very valuable, a goal and an achievement, and we treat them as common because we're on to the next thing, right? <clears throat> Unfortunately, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Unfortunately, that can happen to us in our service to God. Because a lot of Christians treat God as an achievement in their life, you see. We achieve, look, I got Jesus, I'm good. I got a church, I'm good. And then what happens to us is that we forget where we came from. And and God levels the playing field. He doesn't care about the color of your skin. He doesn't care what side of town you come from. He doesn't care what your age is, any of those kinds of things. When you, when you come to Christ, he resets the whole thing. We, call, we all come from different walks of life. This misnomer that there is, a, there is a family or a group of people out there or you look at somebody that are very successful, you look at, I want what they have. Well, sometimes you're not willing to go through the struggle that they went through to get there. And sometimes you're not privy to how it became that way for them. And maybe that's not the struggle that God's called you to. Right? And so in Genesis chapter 3, this goes all the way back to the fall of man. In verse 1, it says, Now the serpent 
was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made, and said to the woman, Indeed, has God said you shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now it's the fall of mankind. There are so many things that I would love to talk about in this scripture, but we're going to stay, at least attempt to stay focused on what we're, you know, I'm, I'm trying to stay focused on what we're supposed to be speaking about. He tells them, he casts that little doubt. Right? You shall not from eat any tree of the garden. Verse 2, the woman said to the serpent, from, all, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat. But from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat from it nor touch it or you will die. Something that is very important for us to understand is they had one rule when they were in the garden. Now, rewind and understand this. This was at a time in mankind where man and woman could dwell with God. God would come into the garden and he would walk amongst them. You understand? You can hear the God coming through the garden. We're going to get to that scripture here in just a little bit. You can They, they heard the sound of God. Now, whether or not he literally walked or not is up to debate. I don't think he did because God is spirit. But but the point of it is his presence came through the garden. Mankind, man and woman at this state were able to have a conversation with God face to face. Right? And the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. And that's verse four. <clears throat> that's that doubt. Surely you won't die. Even though your God has told you, if you eat from this tree, you will die. Surely you won't die. In other words, there's really no consequence for your disobedience. The world would like us to believe that. Even in some forms of Christianity, there's, there's, I heard, I watched a video, I, I don't know if I shared it with you guys, a friend of ours shared it with me. This guy went to a Baptist college and he's a pastor somewhere down in San Diego. I don't know, but and I'm not even going to give you his name. But the point of it is, is he goes, oh, you believe that 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 literal occurrence in the garden was was literally mankind talking with God. And that the serpent was real. And the guy he was debating said, well, yeah, I do. He goes, well, I don't believe that. He's also the same nut job that was saying that God doesn't have a cosmic his, to use his term, cosmic filing cabinet that he has all the rules for life in. Well, it's not very cosmic, it's the Bible. Well, the point is, is if you throw the Bible out, surely you will not die, okay? You understand the, par the, the parallel there? Surely you will not die. Surely God doesn't, he just, as the next verse there, he says, he, he says, for God knows in the day that you eat from it that your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. You see, what, what Satan did, what the serpent did there, was bring God down off of his rightfully placed pedestal and brought him down to say, you can become an equal with God. In other words, God doesn't set the rules, you do. Yeah, you're right. The word of God is not good enough. And that's not really what it means, even though it says it. It says in verse 6, When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to her eyes 
to the eyes that the tree was desirable to make one wise, she took from its fruit and ate. And she gave also to her husband with her, and he ate. Now it appears, and I'll just tell you, that he was standing there right there with her when this took place. There's a whole other subject. I recently read a book, and I, was, I really appreciate the, the, the approach that uh, Tony Evans took in, in his book. It's a, a book on kingdom man is what it's called. And uh, he, he mentions that the, the sin that man partook in there was the fact that he sat by and did nothing, knowing full well that his wife was being tempted by Satan, did not step in like a man should, did not lead like a man should. Now, he, he gets dealt with by God. And so that was an interesting perspective. That's another subject for another day. They were in the, in, the, in the state of direct fellowship with God. I'm not going to read the whole chapter because I want to keep you guys awake. So the point of it is, is that in verse 9, it says, And the Lord God called the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. What? All of a sudden? All of a sudden, you're no longer... You have shame and humility in a position that God had created in the form that God, a God created form. And they were ashamed to be in the presence of God the way that he created them. That is absolute, without question, a, a, an indicator in our life for us to go when sin has crept into our lives we feel as though we're not adequate to be in God's presence. It's because sin has infiltrated our hearts and our minds. It's put us in a position where we feel as though, and he says, the man, uh, and, and he said to them in verse 11, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Of course he knew that they ate from that tree. Of course he did. You skip down and, and he goes on and, 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 of course, Adam, he says, you know, that woman that you gave me, she gave me the fruit to eat. Well, if you read that scripture up there, there's a very high chance that you were standing right next to her, bucko, watching the whole thing go down. Ain't it like a, a, a weak-spined man? Well, it's her fault. I love it. You play a lot of athletics, you learn real quick. Blaming someone else for your own shortcomings does not work out if you got a good coach. Matter of fact, you all may be running, and the team will figure that justice out on the back end, right? Sometimes. It doesn't work out that way, and we don't have the ability to make that excuse. And so what we have here, and he says that in verse 17, he said to Adam, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten from the tree which I've commanded you, and he curses he curses Adam, he curses Eve. We know that from that point on, at this point on, the position of mankind in God's eyes was forever changed. They went from direct communication with God in the presence of God, in his presence, walking through the garden, talking to him, being able to speak to him as his children, as his creation, to being kicked out of the garden. It says there that he gave them, you go back and read, but he says he gave them coverings of skin. 
Some say animal skin. I've heard others say skin, skin. Either way, the covering that they had before was no longer sufficient. And the covering that they now needed to survive outside of the garden was something different than what God had originally given them. And he kicked them out of the garden. It is from this point that you see mankind. This is important for us to all remember because as humans, as people, as we are, we have mankind has been fighting and scratching to get back into the presence of God ever since. Because sin crept in, infiltrated mankind's thoughts. It doesn't make them any worse than you and I. Matter of fact, what it teaches us is that is our nature. And that is where you and I come from. You understand? That's where we all come from. We are corrupted in and of ourselves, in our natural state, in our flesh state. It is in our very nature and very DNA of who we are as individuals. We are corrupt. So, man, that's kind of bleak. Well, it is. But we'll get into the point of where we go from there. And you understand that in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, turn there with me real quick. <laughs> there is hope. But the point of it is for us is to, to recognize this hope that we have and how valuable it is. And sometimes we need to reacquaint ourselves with this hope. See, there's some that come to know Christ. And they, you know, they didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in a household where we sat around and had Bible studies as a kid. I already shared with you guys every Sunday we went to the swap meet. That's what we did at the buyer's household. My dad's an avid tool collector. Boy, when he moves out of his house, I'm in trouble. I'll just tell you that much. We're going to have estate sales, you know. He got more tools than you can shake a stick at. That's that's what we did on Sunday. We would go to the, to the swap meet. It wasn't until my parents were divorced and drugs ravaged our family that I was introduced to the name of Jesus Christ at 9, 10 years old. I'd never heard of that name. Never even knew it existed. And from that point on, it forever changed the trajectory of my life. Another subject for another day. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, in verse 22, this is something that we must remember. And now go back and read 1 Corinthians chapter 15 because there's some really good things in there. It's really good evidence of mankind. We like to wrangle about words. We like to figure out things, new ways to come up, poke holes and theories and all this other kind of stuff. Mankind and good Christians have been doing that for a long time, okay? I'll just say that and you go back and read it yourself. And in verse 22, it says, For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ all will be made alive. In other words, the literal translation there, all in Adam are dead. In our natural state, in our state, when you talk about with the Adamic state that we all come from, outside of Jesus Christ is death. You understand? In our flesh, mankind must have Jesus Christ. I shared with you guys last week, John 14, 6, right? 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. What do you mean? Because mankind in our natural state, we are imperfect, we are sin riddled, and we are not allowed in the presence of God. Not yet. There is a reconciliation of those things, but that hasn't come to pass yet. But mankind in our natural state, we must all recognize that. Even the best of us that sit in here today, when we are in our flesh, when we reside solely in our flesh and we can walk away from God, we can say, God, I don't want to listen to your word. I don't want to follow your commandments. When you are in that state, God is not listening. You want to repent? He'll listen. It's just like a good parent. When a kid's acting up and you tell them to go do something, you know, and you discipline them. You, I don't know, maybe I'm different, but at my house, I don't want to hear it. My kid's trying to give me an excuse or trying to give me a, a list of reasons why they did whatever it is that they did. No, I don't want to hear it. Go stand over there. We've already talked about this. I already know what your judgment is. Go stand in your punishment, whatever it is. Why? <laughs> You've already determined what it is. Our Heavenly Father works the same way. In verse 45. So, so also it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living soul. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. There's only one life-giving spirit that I'm fully aware of, and that's Jesus Christ. You see, God, mankind, I should say, rather, mankind needed Jesus Christ so that we could once again approach God so that we could once again be in the position to be in his presence. There's no greater achievement, no greater goal, no greater thing in this life, but to be in his presence. This is important for all of us. You say, well, this is important for somebody that is coming to know the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That we must understand and fully recognize that we must come to God because man in and of his natural state, in his natural state, is us, is separate from God, incapable of, of achieving righteousness in and of your own self. And praise God for that. Because if it was up to me, I'd mess it up. I promise you that. I'd mess it up by this afternoon, probably. Some of you even wouldn't make it out of the church building, right? If it were up to us. I don't control your thoughts. Only God sees the thoughts and intentions of man's heart. Woof. You think I want to know what those are? You don't want to know what mine are. I can guarantee you that. Sometimes they're pretty good. Sometimes not so hot. But God sees them. What is that? That is further testimony in our natural state. Ooh, we're corrupt individuals. <laughs> All of us sitting in here in our natural state. There is an internal struggle and we'll get to it. Go to Romans chapter five. There is an internal struggle that, 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 that wages on in our lives every day. Every one of us is this way. Now, your sin and your struggle is different than mine. Sometimes they're the same, but sometimes they're completely different. 
But to pretend as though that does not exist, we are lying to ourselves. We got our heads in the sand. That's not the way this works. In Romans chapter 5, this is a good reminder for all of us that one that come to know Christ and those that, that sit right in a pew and they've been sitting there their entire life. Why? Because it's easy, as we stated earlier, it's easy for us to feel as though... How many times have you ever met somebody who says, well, I read the Bible. Uh, what? I read the Bible. I read it front to back. Uh, okay. Which is good. I would... You know, I think it's great to hear someone to be able to say that, right? But the Bible is a dynamic book. It's, it's, it's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not meant to be read and put back on the shelf. That's, that's not how it's intended to be used. Now, if you want to read it for reading purposes, that's good. But the Bible is intended to be applied to our lives. And as we enter all these different seasons and changes in our life, we have to reapply some of those things to our lives, don't we? I've had some pretty significant changes in my life. And man, there's been some, some times where, you know, even as a preacher and a pastor, you got to sit back and go, man, I need to reacquaint myself with what the word of God says. And sometimes it takes me a couple weeks to figure that out, maybe a couple months. What do you mean? I can tell you there's been some things and occurrences in my life where I've lost my moral compass and I've lost my direction. And you go, oh, what do you mean? How do you fix that? Well, you got to get back to the word of God. You got to get back to what it teaches you and what it shows you. One of the biggest challenges that I ever encountered as a young man is when the pastor of this church left. I was in the dark. New convert left in the dark. I didn't know what to do. 27 years old, 26 actually. I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to, I didn't know the first thing of all this stuff. And here I'm entrusted with some tremendous responsibility. Left on a lurch. And a room full of people looking at me. Telling me, yeah, you're the guy. No, I'm not. What do you do? Unfortunately, you turn to some things sometimes that aren't the most the most profitable in your life and your understanding. We turn to stress and we turn to certain things that, that some people turn to pill bottles, some people turn to alcohol, some people turn to, to other forms of addictions and things like that. You look at that and go, why would they do that? It's, you know, this is the part that we as Christians sometimes get wrong so many times is we look at the sin and we go, man, that's just bad. Well, you got to look at the reason behind the sin. What's driving somebody to that point? There is a motivator to get somebody there. If somebody has a problem with alcohol, if somebody has a problem with drugs, telling them to simply stop is the most, let me rephrase, that was going to come out wrong. That is, that is the wrong approach. 
Yes, do they need to stop? You don't think in every fiber and every ounce of them that they know that they should stop? Of course. The, re- the reality of it is as a church and as a, as, as, a, as a God-fearing people, we need to look at what can we help heal so that they no longer need that to feel whole or no longer need that to cover up the pain. Because what you see is the symptom, not the problem. What we see is the symptom, not the problem. God has given us a tremendous opportunity. And so what we have here in Romans chapter 5 is it is, is a reacquainting. Sometimes it's an introduction for some. They go, wait, hold on a second. It says in, in verse 6, for while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Why do you need to hear that? Because you're ungodly. And sometimes when you ride the pew and you do a good job and you attend services and you're doing the things that you're supposed to do, you still forget where you came from. You, at the core of who you are as an individual, in and of yourself, devoid of Jesus Christ, are ungodly. Your clothes, the type of car, the side of town that you live on, all those different things do not dictate your godliness. Nor mine. That's good to hear for someone that's turning their life over to the Lord because, man, you hear that God is the great equalizer. He doesn't care about all those things. But then as good Christians that, that ride the pew and that do their, do their job, and I don't, again, not knocking, those are the things that we should do, but we should always have a healthy realization and a healthy understanding that we are ungodly at our core. Every day we need Christ. That doesn't mean you go in and out of salvation. That's not what I'm talking about, folks. You understand what I'm saying? In other words, you have to understand that every one of us in here has demons that we fight back every day. Every single one of them. If you don't have them, you're lying to yourself. Maybe you need to come talk to me. Maybe we could have a quick conversation. We could talk about those things, okay? Maybe I can help you understand those things. But every one of us has those problems and those corrupt thoughts. You see, the, the, the reality of it is, is that because our flesh is corrupt, so are our minds. Hence the reason, this is why preachers and pastors tell you to read the word of God. It's not because it's just a good thing to do. It's look, you, we are surrounded by bad things, corrupt things, the shows we watch, the, the advertisements that we see on TV and the, the nasty behavior of mankind. The reality of it is you put the word of God in there. You put something in your mind that is wholesome, righteous and good. <laughs> and the Lord knows we need that. At least I know I do. In verse uh, 7, he says, For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Why is that important? Well, one, because we're sitting out there and we know there, there's there's folks out there that know that they don't have Jesus Christ. There's folks out there that, that have gone out of their way to not submit themselves to him. And it says that God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So in spite of our sin nature, in spite of the nature of mankind, corrupt as we are, 
in our very core. Christ died for us. And it had to be that way. Why? Because what you and I like to do is we like to pick different sins that are worse than others. He just looks at it as sin. He looks down here and says, y'all are messed up. You need my son. Come talk to him. Because it's a mess. In verse 14, it says, Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam. What? Let me reread that. Nevertheless, death reigned until uh, from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. It says in verse 15, But the free gift is not like the transgression. For if by the transgression the one of the one many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift of grace by one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. It's important for every man and woman to understand that in and of our natural state, we need Christ. Oh, but it's also really important for us good Christians out there to be reminded of the fact that in and of our natural state, we still need Jesus Christ. We need him more nowadays, today, than we did back then. We draw closer to him because we understand the very nature of who we are as mankind. We understand that the very nature. Now, does that mean we progress and serve God? Of course, but we can never lose sight of the fact of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We can never lose sight of that. Why? Because the, soon, the, the, the faster or the quicker we lose sight of the fact that God died for us and we were sinners and still are. And we have the capability to sin. Let me say that. You come to know Christ, you baptize in those waters, you come out of those waters, you say, well, I can walk in a newness of life. Yes. He tells him in Romans chapter six, chapter six, sorry. In Romans chapter six, he says, even so consider yourselves dead to sin. Why does he say that? Consider yourself dead to sin. Not that you are dead to sin, but consider yourself dead to sin. In other words, fix your mind and fix your heart on this is not the right way. Doesn't mean you won't struggle with it, though. That sets the bar. Consider yourself dead to sin. Romans chapter 5, still, it says that uh, in verse 18, it says, so then as one transgression there resulted in condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, there resulted justification of life to all men. We all come to the point, we all should come to the point with, and the realization that we understand that we, in and of ourselves, are sinful. And that, as it says here, that the, the even so, the act of one righteous, one act of righteousness, there resulted justification in life to all men. It says the law came in so that transgression would increase, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that sin, as sin reigned in death, even so grace would reign through res, uh, through righteousness to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. 
this thing comes in, the law, sin, the old way, in comes this thing called grace. Some define it as unmerited favor. And that's, it's an okay definition, but it doesn't really cover it 100% because it's really hard to define. But you look at what God has done for us through his son, Jesus Christ, through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ. You look at this and he goes, listen, let me talk to you about this thing called grace. Grace looks and is manifested in such a way that God sent his only son down here to die for the ungodly. So that you and I, everybody sitting in this room here today, who has no right, no position, no claim to the throne, no, no, no privilege to be in the position to be in the presence of God, but because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his grace, yet here we sit. We don't deserve it, but we should cherish it and hold on to it. Of you know, like the scripture says, a, a pearl of great value. You go and sell the field, right? Buy the field. I'll take it. It's that important to me. Why? Because we are very well acquainted with what we truly deserve, but because of Jesus Christ. We've been freed from that. It is in him that these things can be accomplished. In Romans chapter 3, a scripture I like, and it's a good reminder, especially, you know, and I'm not going to ask for a raising of hands and anything else, but how many times have you been around some folks you go, well, I can't believe people do things this way, right? Look at how... You know, look at this decision that they're making. Look at all these things. I, this scripture is one of those scriptures that I like to read in over in my mind, and it comes up, and I think the Lord brings it up. He says, for all have sinned, verse 23, Romans 3, 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. Why is that important? That's one of those self-checkers. At least it is for me. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. It says there, it says, being justified as a gift. In other words, you and I, there's no deed or action that we have done to receive it. Salvation is 100% a gift. It is God's gift in his son, Jesus Christ. And that we must understand that redemption of mankind to God is accomplished solely through Jesus Christ. You see, there's plenty of people that you got to be real careful. There's a there's a pervasive thought out there that people make an, an acknowledgement of God. Is it good that people make an acknowledgement of God? Sure, I have a problem with that. Everybody should make an acknowledgement of God. God exists. Good. Okay. I believe in God. Okay, good. The demons also believe in Shudder. So, you know, is a recognition of God good? It's a good starting point, but it can't stay there. 
If you believe in God, then therefore you must believe in his son, Jesus Christ. And if you believe in his son, Jesus Christ, you must follow him. And if you follow Jesus Christ, he guarantees you salvation, entrance into the kingdom, opportunity to be in the presence of God when all this stuff is set right. You understand? You see how this goes. See, a lot of times in popular religion and people out there say, well, we all believe in God. Whoa, hold on a second. Time out. Time out. Don't get caught up in all that universalism stuff. It, you got to be real careful with all that stuff. If they don't name the name of Jesus Christ, you need to talk to them about Jesus Christ. Now, this top water stuff that's going on out there. In John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, obviously familiar scriptures for all of us. It says there that for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes or is believing in him shall not perish, but may have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. What? It's freely available and accessible to the entire world. The vehicle and the mechanism that is used is the people sitting out here today sitting in here today, the church, his faithful people that choose to follow him and share his gospel message with, with anybody and everybody, their neighbors, their friends, you know, so on and so forth, all the things that we do. But we must understand something that is very important, that there is a responsibility for all of us to share the gospel. Amen? Is there not? But we also got to remember here, too, is that God has set the bar. He says there, he says, he, he, that the world might be saved through him. In other words, you and I as good Christians don't make the determination who is good quality for saving. No, I'm not going to spend time talking to them because I don't think they deserve it. That ain't your call. He issued a proclamation and his son came down here to save the world. Obviously, there is the there is the, rec the, the the recognition that every man and woman must make that decision for themselves. But you and I don't do that. We merely present it because we have Christ, because Christ is alive and well in in us. Commissioned to, through this church to spread the gospel. That's what we're supposed to be doing. He is a great equalizer, as it teaches us there that listen, it, it's it's available to all. It is a gift, and we must always remember. So for those that don't know the Lord, you got to go, oh, okay, mankind in and of himself, you know, just in my natural state, I need Christ. Yeah. So even from the, the, the most simple of sinners to the most chief most sinners, you know, the, the sinners that <laughs> they, they are guilty of the most horrible things, if they turn to know the Lord, look, there's a thief on the cross. I almost talked, I almost, uh, in Luke chapter 23, that you go over there and you read that, you know, Jesus is hanging on the cross and, and the thief is, is nice to him. He says, today you'll be in paradise with me. I've heard plenty of Baptists go on for 10 minutes and that's not what really took place there. It's in the scripture. It's not even in brackets. It's not even up for dispute. In other words, the reason we spend 10 minutes explaining that away is because it's hard for us to understand that. Why? It really ain't that hard. You know how I, how I came to my conclusion? J 
Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through him. If he says you get in, you get in. It's that simple. Well, but he didn't do this and he didn't. That's your rule. That ain't his rule. If the Savior of the world says you get in, you get in. That's how simple that is. You don't spend 10 minutes to give a dissertation on all that stuff. That's fine. You still don't make the determination. Neither do I. And by his grace and mercy, I'm thankful for that. We are in our nature, folks. We got to remember this. We are sin-filled and sin-riddled. We need Christ. When we, the further we get away from God, I look at it as a, as a, a scale for those of us that serve God, right? You're, you're trying to serve God. You're doing what you're supposed to. How much, how much good are we putting in? How much of the Lord are we putting in? It's a balancing act. It's a scale. Is it exactly tit for tat? No, that's not what I'm saying. But the point of it is, is that you look at it and it's, and it, it is kind of that way. The more we put in, the more likely we are to reflect his image. The less we put in of him, the more likely we are to reflect our own image, our natural image, which we know in our natural state, in our most natural state, we know where that ends up, outside of the presence of God. In our flesh, folks, God has given us access to him, but it's through Jesus Christ. And thank him for that. I thank him for that. And be reminded of where we come from. You know, I we use the term, I've used the term, we sometimes we think we're something done come, right? And we're not sometimes, but sometimes we need to be reminded of it. Now, don't beat, listen, follow me here. Don't beat yourself up to the point where you're like, I'm just a worthless maggot. Well, we're all worthless maggots, okay? But just guess what? Yes, pull it back a little bit. That doesn't mean you beat yourself up to the point where you give up trying. You just have a good, healthy understanding of what you really are in God's eyes, and so you try to make the best of it. We do what we can. We serve God to the best of our ability. God does not call you to be the best. He calls you to do your best. You understand God does not call you to do to be the best, but he calls you to do your best. God does not turn his back on those who try. He doesn't do that. We need Christ now more than ever. We live in a world that's riddled with turmoil everything else you could think of upset you know people and political parties identity politics and all this other kind of stuff man i'll just tell you i'm a proponent of spending time with people have them over to your house eat dinner with them spend time with people have conversations with them don't play all them games that are that they're perpetuating on instagram and facebook and the news spend time with people that's the solution be kind share the gospel by his son, Jesus Christ, we are, we are in the position to be in the presence of God. We, we did something today, brethren, that is, is absolutely beautiful. We, 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 we had prayer requests before this. It's not something that we deserve. It's something that we have access to because of Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to have our prayers heard. 
in our natural state, it's not the case. What a blessed position to be in. When you realize and recognize where God has taken us from, where he is taking us to, it gives you reason to shout and it gives you reason to share with others. May the Lord bless you and keep you.